0: Hello listeners, thank you for tuning in to Making Sense of Martech and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, tech and advertising. My name is Juan Mendoza. I write the Martech Weekly Newsletter, a weekly email that covers some of the most important shifts in marketing technology. People who work at the world's largest media, tech and marketing companies read it. Today I'm joined by Aaron Spinley and leading growth futurist. He's doing important work in experience anthropology, customer experience and economics. Aaron has worked at SAP and most recently has become the senior vice president of Thunderhead in the APAC region, a cloud-based customer engagement platform. It was recently named a leader in a customer journey orchestration platforms by Forrester in 2020. And now Aaron lives and breathes understanding the experiences of customers. And he's currently working on a series called I Beg to Differ. It's a series of articles for marketers, leaders, and customer experience to really prompt uh, thinking and discussion around some of the concepts in our industry. Now, Aaron's article recently came out and I published it in TMW number 26, discussing the concept of experience and how it's kind of like a shortcut for confusing an entire profession. And it was one of the most engaged with articles in that newsletter. So now I give you Aaron Spinley. Thanks very much,
1: but it's a very generous introduction. I appreciate it.
0: So, Aaron, I'd love for you to open up um, this conversation with, tell me a bit about what you do with Thunderhead, your background, and what led you to write this article on the topic of defining experience.
1: Yeah, well, look... I guess for me, I've been looking at um, experience and the way that brands interact with humans for the majority of of the last decade, a lot of reading and research and and following um, interesting individuals and and whatnot. And I think for me, um, it's become really clear that there is a lot of confusion around this word and the words become almost an an all-consuming term that's, that's just used verbatim and replaced or um, we'll thrown into pretty much every sentence you can, you can think of, particularly in the, in the marketing profession and all of the, the sort of subset industries that sit around that. Um, so, look, I, I've been really interested in it for a while, and I, I think it, it was part of the motivation for me in joining Thunderhead, which is it's a fascinating company. It, it, it's equal parts social sciences and technology, and it's really looking at how do humans actually behave because we often construct things like journeys or customer maps or things like that in the marketing world which have really next to nothing to do with the actual human beings and the way that they actually interact um, across a brand. They don't have a journey. They have multiple journeys and they don't operate according to a linear set of inputs. They, they, They operate according to the messy human condition. And so understanding that stuff um, becomes really important. And I I think it's a major problem that our industry doesn't really understand uh, those types of fundamentals.
0: Yeah, that's great. And the concept of experience, uh, you know, I think it's kind of hitting a saturation point. Um, In the MarTech uh, customer experience uh, sort Mm. of world where um, it's almost inserted in every single landing page, every single pitch deck, you know, consultants recommend, you know, improving customer experiences, what does it all actually mean? Uh, you know, there's countless jobs now are customer experience professionals, you know, and there's, and it sort of applies to different layers in a business as well. Like you could be talking about experience from a customer service perspective, but then you could also be a product manager and be responsible for certain aspects of customer experience as well. And so how do you think this idea of experience has entered into the marketers' vernacular, um, over the past few years, what do you think is causing that?
1: Well, look, I think that's largely because um, what we've seen, particularly in societal shift, driven in part by technological advancement over the last decade or so, right? The the book, The Experience Economy, that first started to unwrap some of these concepts was released in 1998. So the phenomena um, and the dynamics aren't particularly new, but what is relatively new is the scale of that phenomena. And if you think about this in really broad terms, um, we saw this as a mega trend really about the middle of the last decade or a little bit later. So you're right, it's been the last four five years, six years, we've really started to talk about experience a lot more. And the reason for that is if you go back to 2012, we had about 2 billion internet users. And what that meant is that internet-based businesses had critical mass, they became viable by about the end of two thousand nineteen, that was up to four point five billion. So we had this exponential explosion of connectedness. Right mm-hmm. around two thousand fifteen, mobile became our main screen. So it overtook, you know, PCs and laptops as the thing that we looked at the most. And riding both of those waves was social media. So so social was a thing pre two thousand ten, but it really exploded off the back of internet and particularly mobile, again, middle of the last decade. And then we, we all know this become equal parts utopia and dystopia in, in recent years. But what, what happened is that brands found they now had to compete with Twitter and Amazon and all of that kind of stuff, right? And people were talking about experience. And so CX became this thing. It's, it's like the, the calls thing that everyone wanted to talk about. I often have described it like this, that we we've all jumped on the CX wave, but most of us don't know how to surf. Right. And and so there's a lot of that um, as you say, vernacular. It's used a lot, it's discussed a lot. But if you go and talk to most marketing departments, even people with CX or experience in their titles, you'll you won't find a lot of technical knowledge about the function of experience, how it operates where it sits in both an economic stack and and an an engagement stack, those are the sorts of things that you would expect if you really know how to surf that wave.
0: It's an interesting perspective. I I tried to learn to surf when I was a teenager and I failed uh, completely. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Could not catch one wave. I like that illustration because it, it does very much seem like the past 15 to 20 years, we've had... You know, these technology companies emerge with phenomenal scale, uh, global reach, the Amazons and the Twitter, the Facebooks, you know, social media, uh, but they've set the tone, uh, their leadership in really focusing on how does a person interact with a device has really, really influenced our industry. And now other brands are trying to learn how to surf like retail or insurance or these brands that really haven't thought about how somebody interacts with a, with a computer or, a, or an iPhone or a device. Now they're trying to figure that out. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, they're probably in surf school and trying to figure that out and understand like, okay, how to actually build a technology capability, but also the people and the sort of the toolkit to actually be able to build awesome, awesome experiences for customers. And, um, so I think actually we're a bit lost when it comes to creating an industry wide definition of experience. In your article, you talk a little bit about how a surgeon or a doctor you know, they have to have standard terms for what they do in their, in their, um, in their operations. If they don't, then if a surgeon asks a nurse for a scalpel and the nurse says, okay, what do you mean by scalpel? That, that causes a lot of problems, <laughs> practical problems That's and, and your point of view, uh, which is quite interesting is that marketers, are um, in the industry, quite immature in defining what we mean by things like experience. So do you think this whole uh, topic around, you know, defining words like experience is about semantics or is it about something more?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think your introduction in many ways answers the question. It's absolutely something more. And, and you know, you can look at any range of, of professions. You mentioned surgeons there, but, you know, you talk to accountants, lawyers, architects, um, any, anything in the doctor field, education, you know, we use in those professions terms that mean things. They have professional definition. The distinctions are important. When you go to a conference in another country and use the same term, everyone's on the same page. If I think about, and you know, you're operating with commentary around the MarTech space in particular. And, um, in, in that world, that's just highly confusing. You know, I have a lot of sympathy for decision makers and companies that are choosing what investments to make in terms of marketing technology, because, you know, there's so many different products which do completely different things, which are described in identical ways.
0: Mm.
1: So it's 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 really particularly tricky. And the rise of things like CDPs in recent times is sort of a great example of that. Um, when people think about CDPs as some kind of activation layer for their for their channels, and it really isn't. It's it's given away in the name. It's a data platform, and it, it's solving one of the fundamental problems we have, which is the disconnectedness and the dishevelment of data across <laughs> across com- across companies. Um, and it's a really important thing, but that's really all it does. And uh, it. But if you look at the marketing language around CDPs, you would think that it's a full activation channel management layer and does all sorts of things. Yep. That's not to shoot at the CDP vendors, but it's just an, an illustration of what happens right across um, the tech space. If you come back to that surfing analogy and the sort of big social media companies, et cetera, the problem you have um, if you're learning to surf is, is learning to surf different types of waves you know, different sizes, there's different, um, you know, tidal pulls, some go faster than others, some break earlier, all of that sort of stuff. What we've seen societally is massive change fast. And so you're, you're having to learn to surf a different wave almost every day because consumption behaviour um, has been moving so quickly and it has a lot to do with some of the social media companies. They taught us that it's all about me and all about now. And so we became all kind of entitled in our consumption behavior as well. That's tough to keep up with if you're a brand. And so when you're trying to do that and the technology companies that are there to support you to do that, frankly, can't sort their own language out. And it's almost like an exercise in in institutional confusion. That just adds to their woes, you know. And I, I just think that's on us as marketers, as MarTech people, uh to sort ourselves out to get to a point of some level of professional maturity
0: institutional confusion uh it's a that's a great concept i think um and i come across that a lot as well you know a lot of the work i do at the lumery working with brands in apac is really a lot of it is about semantics is defining okay what does personalization mean for your organization um, what does it actually mean? Let's go away from the industry for a bit and all the influences there and think about what does it actually mean for your company? But I think, mm. I think there's a, uh, you know, a really interesting parallel to the engineering world here about, you know, um, technical debt. So, you know, for example uh, you know, let's say you build a product a bunch of features and you write code for that, you know, if the code isn't great, Um, There's a lot of technical debt that builds up over time to maintain it, to update it. And I think what we're seeing now as the market slowly matures is the concepts that we're using have a lot of debt associated to them. Uh, So, uh, you know, a technology vendor, let's say a consultant, and then somebody who's working in the practice, in the actual business, they have different definitions for things like experience. And so it's actually very hard to have um, productive conversations. And that's a, I think that's a phenomenon of you know concept debt uh, that accumulates over time, and it's kind of hitting a breaking point. People really don't, don't know yeah. how to have a conversation about some of your concepts in a way that's clear and productive. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, your perspective on, uh, on how a customer experience function works in a business. So you say that, uh, you know, being able to create an awesome experience for customers um, has a lot to do with the things that businesses don't really um, highlight. So, you know, all the sort of shadowy, it's sort of in the background, a lot of its operations and data and technology and things like that. Um, How do you actually see, you know, the function of customer experience working out within an organization? And what do you think are some of the problems there?
1: Well, look. I think if I come back to that term, institutional confusion. I, I, I think that sort of tends to be a major problem for for folks in the in the CX space. I always, when I'm working with an organisation, try and simplify this stuff right down as much as possible, and and it helps to think through kind of the four distinct economic eras and the economic offerings. And most people have a sense of what those are, right? So commodities, products, services, and experiences. And I can sort of talk about the interrelationship of those or the macro history of all of those. But if we fast forward to more recent times, where we see a lot of confusion is particularly between the services layer and the experience layer. Uh, This is kind of a a really important thing to, to understand. So, you know, we sell as companies things to other people, whether they are commodities, products, or, or some kind of service. But we support the sale of that or the transaction of that through services layers and then sometimes through experiences. Services are those things that really just need to work. You know, we, we've heard of, you know, for instance, in the CX world, you hear a lot of people talk about frictionless experience, right? Frictionless experience doesn't even exist. In order for something to be an experience, we have to remember it. So you have an interaction with something that triggers an emotion. The emotion is the thing that enables the knowledge of that thing to traverse your limbic system and your brain, and that stores it to long-term memory. Those things have to exist in order for it to be an experience. So the two ingredients are emotion and memory and they're connected. If something is, is frictionless, you don't have any emotion about it. You certainly don't remember it, and it, therefore it's not even an experience. right? So that's just an example of where this confusion comes sometimes. But it's one of the most common terms you'll hear CXs say. They actually talk about something that genuinely, in the human condition, forget the industry for a moment, mm. the human beings that we're supposed to be engaging, frictionless experience does not exist in the human condition. So when we break those things up, and we think about particularly services a start, right, it's, it might be your commerce tools. It might be your contact centres. It's the way that your your perhaps your staff or your um, and stores greet people and treat people. It's the kind of stuff that shouldn't be memorable, right? It should just work. Everything should be easy. It's when you park your car at an event, you don't want to when you think of going to that event, like a major conference or a, or a concert, or maybe you took a, a date, you know, to the zoo or something mm. um, you want to remember your time at the event. You want to remember the concert or the zoo or whatever. You don't want to remember parking, <laughs> right? Right. You don't want to remember paying to get in the gate. Those are services. They're mm. supposed to be easy over really quickly and entirely forgettable. Mm. You want to remember the experience because the, the experience inside that event is where you have an emotional connection. That's why you remember it. So the two things are really different and understanding how you design for them are really different. And so to your, to your question, uh, what a lot of companies are struggling with is without understanding those definitions, they call a service an experience. And, well, they call everything experience, which is part of the problem. But they don't then know how to think about that critically. And instead of saying, hey, if I'm going to design a memory, and that's one of the things I think we need to shift our language to, is let's stop talking about experiences. We're designing memories for our customers. When you think about it like that, it changes the framing a little bit. So if I'm going to design a memory for a customer, I need to design the target emotion that they will have because that defines how they will remember me. That defines how they'll remember my brand.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't want to do that when they're in the payment engine. I don't want them to remember paying me. <laughs> That's just a, I need them to pay me. They need to pay me. We just need to get that bit done and out of the way. Yeah. It's not particularly important for any of us. But what are the target emotions and the target memories that I want to create in my customers about my brand, because by the way, that is my brand. It's not my logo, right? It's not my tone of voice or whatever it might be. They can be inputs to the sorts of memories I'm trying to create, but my brand is the memories and the feelings that people have about me. And so separating the transactional service layer from the experience layer and thinking about them in those ways is something that we really need to get consistent on and understand in the industry.
0: Yeah, there's there's some really great things to unpack here. Uh, I really like the uh, jobs to be done framework when thinking about Mm. experience and service layer Uh, particularly there's one great illustration that's been floating around a bit of two images. One image is of, you know, a skateboard, but it's exploded. So, you know, all the bits and pieces that make up a skateboard are all just sitting there. And then left on the right hand image, there's um, somebody, you know, actually riding the skateboard and customers buy, the bits and pieces of the skateboard so they can actually ride it and enjoy it. And I think a lot of the concept that you're talking around here is, um, so there's a, there's a service layer, things like, you know, parking your car or, um, you know, going through a checkout process, um, clicking through emails, things like that. And then there's the actual experience a customer has with the brand. And that's the thing that uh, customers take away, uh, you know, and, and, there's a, there's a really interesting perspective to this because when a lot of uh, technology companies sort of position themselves, they say, look, we're doing great experiences. Well, is checkout, you know, doing a checkout, putting your credit card details into a form, is that actually an experience or is that just a job to be done so that the customer can have the actual experience, which is a product? That's right.
1: And so, you know, the only, the only, it's interesting because the only way you elevate a service like payment to being an experience is by screwing it up. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, because all you're doing is, again, you're triggering an emotion, but it's a negative emotion. Mm. Now, whether something is a negative emotion or a positive emotion, uh, doesn't matter. That will support the, the, that data to tra- traverse your limbic system and become stored in long-term memory. So now they remember you for a negative. Mm. So you don't want your services layer to be memorable. It's not sustainable in the long-term there's a thing called a novelty principle. Um, well, I call it a novelty principle, which kind of is the exception that proves the rule. You remember when, when Uber first came out, right? Yeah. And we, we jumped into an Uber and then at the end of the ride, we were like, oh, I can just leave now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't have to hand my credit card over or cash or whatever. That was an experience because it was so novel. Right, so that's when you there was a transition of a service to an experience by by virtue of the novelty factor. But the novelty factor is not sustainable. So today, when you jump out of an Uber, you don't even think about it. It's not memorable at all. The first time, the first few times, it was memorable because it was novel. So there are some little tricks around experience design where you know there might be a period of time where you can leverage the novelty factor, but it's not sustainable. So you have to learn how to think about those in two different parts because your long-term design is exactly, uh, well, exactly that. It's about long-term engagement. And the engagement piece is is really the the reason why we do any of this. You have all sorts of interactions. Those interactions are either memorable or they're not. That's all good. It's fine to have unmemorable interactions because they're your services layer. As long as you're designing for the outcomes that you're getting there, then you're kind of in control to some degree and you're building positive engagement. Engagement is the end game. I think this is one of the things that people get a little bit caught up as well. When we we have these important debates around what is the service layer and what is the experience layer, they're important to have. But what happens is that we're focused on a means to an end. And sometimes we just gotta keep pulling ourselves back to understand the end because the end game is engagement. And these are really just ingredients to
0: it. So let's unpack this topic of engagement. Uh, In your article, you talk about how we should probably change the vernacular and our understanding of what we're trying to solve for away from experience to customer engagement. Mm. Now um, you've got a really great framework and the show notes will have information about this as well. Um, Talking about how you plan for engagement what are those different components you have four different areas that look at uh how customers interact with brands which i found quite interesting Um, but then all of it kind of ladders up to engagements and uh, you know, and then eventually uh, a really great experience, which is a thing that people talk about when they talk about your brand. Uh, you know, you use the example of Uber before. It's like, oh, you know, you can just walk out of, you can just jump out of the car without having to do anything or pull out your credit card. You know, that was novelty, and then the word mm. spread, and the brand of uh, Uber was built upon that um, really important service layer. And so, uh, so I really like the concept because it talks about uh, engagement Engagement as the end goal. Uh, you got different interactions that ladder up into engagement, and then experience as one of the things that customers actually talk about at the end of their day when they reference your brand. Uh, so, I'd love for you to unpack the framework a little bit and tell me about these four different areas.
1: Yeah, well, look, I, I think ultimately, you know, every touch point that a that a customer has, and, and I, I, we use the word customer, but I just just replace that word with human. Because it might be a student, it might be a shareholder, it might be a partner, it might be a supplier, it might be a citizen, right? These are just terms for groups of people. So they're all human beings. So anytime a human being interacts with an entity, in this case, customer to brand, um, you have an interaction of some description and it can be absolutely anything. How you've designed for that interaction defines, what you will trigger inside that human being. So we talked about services as being nice and frictionless and not memorable, unless you screw it up. You know, another example of screwing up the services layer is when someone contacts the contact center and they ring in and that contact center, firstly, he doesn't know, has no idea who you are, even though you might've been a customer for 20 years, you know, and then they transfer you to multiple departments. And every time you get to another department, they've got to ID you again. that that service is horrible creates frustration, which is a negative. You remember that now you've turned an experience, uh, sorry, a service, into an experience in a negative way, right? So again, low friction in anything that's a service. So your interaction is basically anything that happens. Yeah, you're then either delivering a service or you're delivering a, a targeted experience. But the the reason that you want to grow those things is so that ultimately you have relationship with human beings and human beings are built for relationship. So that's helpful if you're a marketer that your target audience is already built for the relationship that you want to have with them. Mm. Right? So that's, that's tech. There's a big, there's a big positive opportunity there. What we've got to do as marketers is get away from yelling at them. Like the paper boy in the street, all those years ago, that just screamed, read all about it, read all about it to get people to come and buy the paper. We've advanced our capabilities. We now have digital expressions. We now have data science and that kind of stuff. But most of our digital expression is still just an iteration of that, you know, almost an industrial era of mindset where we're just constantly in campaign, constantly in acquisition mindset. And I don't know about you, but if you have a friend that's always trying to sell you something, they don't stay a friend very long. So, you know, it's not a fun conversation, right?
0: <laughs> well, it's an easy and way to end a friendship, I think.
1: <laughs> well, that's right. And so thinking about this stuff is really about this wider um, transition that we need to see in marketing from, and just think about the language. If you go from segment to people, hmm. right? You go from campaigns to conversations, right? You go from data driven To context and intent driven
0: Hmm.
1: what we're really talking about is humanizing and harmonizing the interactions between brand and customer and if you philosophically are aligned to that you'll know that the economics are pretty compelling around that stuff there's lots of data and studies around customer lifetime value and, and metrics that you can apply in terms of you know, the strong evidence that supports that approach commercially is far more effective um, economically than than straight campaign and transactional marketing. The irony is that when you do that, when you get the relational aspects and the engagement aspects right, what happens is when you do run campaigns, because you should campaign, still run campaigns, of course, there's something wrong with them in isolation. But when you do run a campaign to an audience that is connected with you emotionally, guess what? That campaign performs better. But most of our marketing world starts and lives and breathes in a campaign mentality. It's all about acquisition. It's never really about relationship. It's never about conversation as we see the rise of, of, you know, data and analytics and data science and machine learning and AI and all that kind of good stuff. What we're seeing now is that companies have got more and more and more data attributes that they don't really know what to do with. And they're trying to reimagine how to engage with a customer based on the data. The data is super important as a tool. But what we say at Thunderhead is that context trumps attributes. When you have context about the human being, you can then go look for the attributes that support the way that you need to learn to engage. But if you don't have context, it's just like, you know, rowing out into the middle of an ocean and hoping you catch something. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, you know, data science doesn't solve that unless you've got context. So we talk about, you know, engagement is not the same thing as involvement. Hmm. And again, that's another way of distinguishing between services layer and experience. Engagement requires a state of motivation. Yeah. Right. And motivation is driven in big part by a need or an emotion. Services layer is just you transaction transacting to get something done, right? You're just coming in and out the door. That's fine. Really good. Um, that's involvement, but engagement is really, you know, requires that state of motivation. And so how do you get someone to be motivated to want to hang out with you in your personal life? You know, you hang out with them. You, you invest into the relationship, you catch up with coffees, you go for a beer whatever that is, and you're coherent. So if I call your contact center, you know they should know when they're talking to me before I even have to tell them that I was in the store yesterday. They should know that I was on the website two weeks ago mm. because that's just an extension of the same conversation. Mm. The fact they don't even know who I am is terrible. The fact that they don't know that they're in the middle of a conversation with me, not at the start of one, it's incoherent. Now, if you met a friend for a coffee in the morning and, and he said, you know what, let's grab, a, let's grab a beer tonight and you catch up at the bar at 8 o'clock and he can't remember you because <laughs> he, knows, he knows you in the coffee shop, but he has no idea who you are in the bar. Yep. That's what brands are doing to customers. It's incoherent. Yep. Now, if someone did that in your personal life, that's not a relationship that's going to last very long. And so, all that happens is brands, by the inability to distinguish between experience and service and understand the motivational state for engagement, these kinds of fundamentals, what they do is they drive themselves back to a price point or to yelling in the street again like the paper boy or trying to be cool. You know, marketers are often trying to p- create this personality over the top of companies to appeal to buyers when that personality isn't actually the personality of the company. The services layer only works when it's embedded in the operation and the culture of a a company. Because you can't, think about it this way, your service layer is where you make and meet your brand promise. Like companies that absolutely, without fail, passionately, meet every single brand promise every single day without failure, those are the companies that build trust. Mm. It's not about f- funky creative brand activations or or clever campaigns. Mm. A campaign is a is an invitation to a conversation. But a lot of companies run the campaign and then don't know how to have the conversation. And so this is really what we're talking about. The end game is engagement. The components of that are all the interactions you have with a customer and a customer to a brand. And and the way that you will ultimately be successful in building the engagement from that is understanding the differences between service layer, um, experience layer, and having a coherent coherent conversation and coherency across your brand. That's really, you asked earlier about Thunderhead, that's probably the fundamental thing we do is try and provide a single brain, kind of the connective tissue, if you like, between customers and the channels that they interact with so that they're having a single coherent conversation that enables those brands to really meet and deliver on their brand promise. You can get up into experiential layers and have fun designing that. Um, but fundamentally you really want to be in a state of motivated engagement that is sustainable over the long term. When you do that, the economic benefits are really compelling. Hmm.
0: There's there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, uh, and I think there, a, there is, <laughs> but, but it is, but it is important to have the conversations about because, uh, you know, the semantics, of the, the the words that we use in our work, defines our strategies. Our strategies define our designs. Our define our designs define execution. So. That's right you know, you could say, you could argue that, oh, this is just a conversation about words. But actually, no, this is how people think about what they're going to do for their customers and how they're going to deliver on their brand promises. I've been thinking about this concept lately about the marketer and the machine. And just to backtrack from our conversation earlier, you know, we were talking about how a lot of these big tech companies have become those leaders and the set the precedent, the tone for how brands are going to participate in this digital yeah. world. And then you've got in the middle of all that, you've got the machines, the customer data platforms, you know, email marketing platforms, you know, analytics, machine learning, and all those different bits of technology. And then you've got the marketer that needs to utilize that technology to deliver on their brand promise. Well, what I think is happening is that the marketer is living inside the machine. You know, they're actually thinking in the way, uh, maybe it's not so helpful, but thinking in a way that is very, very reliant on data and technology and, you know, solutioning. Instead of actually thinking about the customer's experiences or the person's experiences, to your point, the human, um, and that is, I think, has shaped a lot of our thinking and a lot of our approaches and even just the definitions of the terms, you know, uh, I'm very used to using the word customer, but is that actually the right word to use? Uh, I love yeah. what Uber Eats does. They don't call them their their uh, their customers' customers. They call them eaters because that's what they do. They go to Uber Eats to eat stuff <laughs> and have lunch yeah. and things like that. And that's a real mental shift. Uh, and it's a completely different mental model than, you know, thinking about people as customers. And so I think that's a lot of what's happened is that technology has defined how we think about how we actually address humans that uh, interact with brands and how we actually deliver on those promises that we make in the market as well through service layers, experience layers uh, and all those awesome things. And so I'd like to finish with just one last question about uh, what do you think we should be taking as an industry to start getting towards, you know, more standard definitions of things. You know, before this call, you mentioned that, you know, it's kind of like we're all a group of teenagers and we're in high school still in the marketing and sort of CX profession. (laughs) You know, we're still kind of figuring it out, right? (laughs) you know, adolescent rage is coursing through our veins and things like that, (laughs) you know. Uh, But, I mean, uh, there's, yeah, it it seems as though that there's this point of maturity that we're trying to get at where um, things are quite professional, you know, that when we say something like customer experience, that most companies understand what that means. So what do you think are some concrete steps that can help us to get there? Uh, What do you think it takes?
1: Yeah, and that's always the the challenge, right? I mean, I I think... um, We live in a really interesting time, obviously, in terms of, you know, in the middle of COVID and um, depending where you are in the world and, you know, how you perceive what a post-COVID world's going to look like. But one of the things that we've seen, which I think is is a remarkable and positive thing, is that we've kind of recaptured our humanity a little bit. You and I were talking before we kicked off um, the interview proper about you know your kids were in the background and we could hear them you know playing and yelling and all that kind of stuff and it wasn't that long ago that we would have shied away from having that kind of interruption in a in a business conversation it would be unprofessional we weren't curated enough or whatever now everyone goes yeah we're just that's that's life right we're we you're probably at home you're pro- probably homeschooling you're probably you know <laughs> There's there's a real kind of, you know, people are in t-shirts. I don't know if you've noticed this, but on Zoom calls or business meetings, most people are in t-shirts now. But like there's we've sort of recaptured this, this kind of, you know, it's not about losing our professionalism, but we we've absolutely kind of become a little bit more real. And and so, you know, these kinds of trends that are happening around the place, again, are representative of further shifts in society. It's, Marketing organisations, marketing professions can, can only ignore those shifts for so long. And when you look at, you know, people like Rory Sutherland have done behavioural work in the, uh, the sort of messaging and the advertising space for a long time. People like, like that um, have, have always been around in the industry So it's not like these concepts are particularly new and the use of behavioral science, it's more just they've been sort of almost a fringe element. I think what we're gonna start seeing now, and I don't wanna sheet it all home to COVID, but certainly it's been an accelerator, is we're gonna start seeing more social sciences in the industry. And as that happens, I think you're gonna see a natural progression. So the good news is I think we will see some evolution here. Um, because, again, the economics of this stuff are really compelling, and at the end of the day, money talks. Yeah. The other thing that I think um, that we could focus on as an industry is just what we give voice to and you know, the structural parts of the industry. So you know, if you go to marketing conferences and marketing awards and those sorts of things, we're still predominantly – talking about the same things that we were talking about 10 years ago. We're still talking of awarding campaign creatives and things like that. And, and yeah, we're seeing more things like, you know, best CX. And often if you look at um, winners of best CX awards, they weren't even on the experiential layer anyway for the thing they won the award in. Yeah. So you can see the intent, right? You can see that, um, you know, the very fact we've got those categories like best industry CX or whatever is great. We need to take the next step to actually reward actual experiential execution. So in other words, go into understanding what it is that those awards should really be about. But without being too critical of the the industry in that sense, it's encouraging again that you're seeing those, those categories there. But we just need to improve that. So it's the structural stuff in the industry. It's the stuff we talk about. It's the stuff we recognize and there's also a challenge for, for agencies, and, and I guess in your line of business, you don't under, understand this and see this a lot with some of your peers in the agency space, is how do you shift the um, business operating model or the business model of an agency um, to be aligned to, to long-term growth? Because sometimes, that's you know, historically at least, that's often been about campaigns and acquisition only. But how do you operate more across the value um, chain, and from a customer perspective and a and a brand perspective, and we're seeing a lot of agencies start to really embrace new ways of thinking about how they partner with their with their customers. That's another structural example in our industry that I think is is heading in the right direction too. So there's a lot that is happening that is really positive. Um, am I um, <laughs> am I happy with the pace of that change? No, <laughs> but the reality—the reality is that I'm on one voice. Um, there are lots more voices that are starting to talk about this stuff a lot more. Uh, the rise of things like the data data analytics um, is causing more and more critical thought around how we really meaningfully use data. That's ultimately going to take us back to what we say in Thunderhead around context, context trumping attributes. Uh, But you're seeing that already the rise of CDPs, for instance, that we touched on before in the last 12, 18 months um, in particular is really speaking to organisations trying to figure out how they really harness this data. So there's lots of paths, if you like, and roads leading in many ways back to the same place. And that is really how do we engage with customers better? So I think there's a lot of positive things happening structurally, I think we just need to improve perhaps our accuracy and the pace of some of that, that change, but I think the industry will get there.
0: That's great. And yeah, uh, just to close things off, there's, I think you're right. The sciences are coming to marketing operations. So data science wasn't so influential even just five years ago in how markets right. think about using data, but now it's very influential. Um, A lot of people I talk to day to day are data scientists Uh, and I think the behavioral science, it's another sort of emergent nascent um, influence on how marketers start sort of leveraging some of that sort of academic thinking. And when you put, uh, you know, academic discipline around something, it actually creates rigor and it, has, it forces the it forces the issue to standardize terms because it then becomes very hard to talk um, <laughs> um, without those standard terms. And so I think that's, that's right. a really important point you touched on as well, there as well. Um, so uh, I think this conversation has been really insightful, illuminating, um, really helpful. Uh, so Aaron, I might throw to you uh, just to tell us where we can find you on the internet.
1: Okay. Um, like everyone, that channel's for Africa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, uh, look my, my personal website is, is spinly.co. So that's S P I N L E Y yco co. Uh, if you want to look at some of the more recent work, um, my base of operations we discuss now is at Thunderhead. So that's just thunderhead.com. Um, There's my writings on a bunch of different places. Um, I'm on the usual uh, social channels and that kind of stuff. But look, uh, probably the shortcut to all of that is um, hit me up on LinkedIn and you'll find links to everything uh, off there and uh, really happy to engage and and chat with anyone.
0: Great. Well, thank you for coming on to Making Sense of Martech.
1: It's been a pleasure and uh, always enjoy our conversations. I feel like we could probably talk for a couple of days and you'd have trouble in post-prod trying to to pull this down to something succinct. I hope it's been uh, of interest to, to your listeners. Thanks for having me.